Hello and welcome again to this month's Archimedes podcast. As you'll be aware, Archimedes is the evidence-based section of the Archives of Diseases of Childhood, which seeks to answer clinical questions that have arisen through real clinical practice using an evidence-based approach of clarifying the question clearly, going out and seeking for the best available evidence, appraising that, summarising it, and placing it in context with clinical bottom lines that come up with the answer to what a clinician can actually do in their day-to-day life. This monthly edition, as with the previous ones, we've got two clinical questions. The first being, should we use surfactant to treat critically ill children, as distinct from neonates, with an acute respiratory distress syndrome on the paediatric intensive care unit? Now the scenario is that a nine-year-old with relapsed ALL has come in septic and severely unwell, with worsening respiratory distress that requires mechanical ventilation. She's undergone treatment with broad-spectrum antimicrobials, antifungals and antivirals, but things are getting worse and worse, and it looks like respiratory distress syndrome. The registrar on the unit, coming from a neonatal background, looks at things and considers that it looks quite a lot like the respiratory distress syndrome of neonates, and wonders if the right thing to do is to try some surfactant. This question has been asked by a team from the KK Women and Children's Hospital in Singapore, and follows up on a question that was asked in 2003 in Archimedes, where the question of how we should use surfactant within critically ill infants with bronchiolitis was questioned. An extensive search of electronic databases drew up a Cochrane systematic review, but also four further randomised controlled trials that might help answer the question. The team have detailed an extensive analysis of these randomised controlled trials and considered the whole totality of evidence in answering the question about the use of surfactant in critically ill children. It looks like the earlier studies, which were mainly in infants with RSV-positive bronchiolitis, have given a relatively positive result, showing shorter durations and less problems with surfactant given in the setting of acute respiratory distress. But later settings possibly because the illnesses are different, including more sepsis and pneumonia, possibly because there's an effect of a publication bias where early on in the use of a new therapy, it tends to be that people only publish studies that show a benefit of that new therapy. But the later studies in the older patients and the ones without RSV-positive bronchiolitis do tend to show very little by way of improvement, but also an increase in the number of adverse events that might happen. The group conclude that it's not really indicated to use surfactant in this setting, but that the paucity of evidence could lead to a further randomised controlled trial. The next question addressed this month couldn't really be much more different. It asks, is there an effective behavioural treatment for chronic fatigue syndrome stroke myalgic encephalitis? It comes from a team of medical students from uh, Swansea University, Simon Smith, and a reader in child health at the University of Bristol, Esther Crawley. Their scenario is from a 15-year-old girl who attends at the outpatient clinic with a six-month history of fatigue, headaches, nausea, muscle pains, with a clinical examination and investigation pattern that fits with the diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome, or known as CFS stroke ME. She's about to do her GCSEs at the back end of the year, but can't attend school full-time. 
both the young woman and her mother ask you which of the behavioural treatments, because they don't want medication, is most likely to get her back to school again and potentially able to do her exams. Now there is nice guidance on this from the UK in 2005 and this Archimedes takes that as a baseline and moves beyond it and sort of updates the review. There were again extensive electronic searches that hit 77 potentially useful papers and of those only three relevant RCTs were found. There were a whole bunch that evaluated non-behavioural treatments and some of them didn't compare it to usual care but alternative treatments and so we were left with three that really gave an answer to the question of how effective they were compared to usual care. These studies weren't large, with less than 70 patients in each arm of their trial, but they were randomised, and all of the ones that were found really focused on cognitive behavioural therapy and investigated different ways of delivering this type of treatment, and in different numbers of sessions and different levels of intensity. To give an idea of that difference, it ranged from 10 sessions to 60 sessions. And really, the authors conclude that there's not a very clear evidence that the amount of CBT or the way that the CBT was delivered really makes a huge difference, apart possibly from a trial suggesting that internet-delivered CBT was more effective than usual care. CBT certainly seemed to be the one with the best evidence base behind it, at showing that fatigue was reduced and that school attendance was improved. There is another approach called it graded exercise treatment and that has been studied a little showing some reduction in fatigue but it's mainly been looked at in adults and hasn't really been extensively examined um, in children. The conclusions that this team reach are that CBT should be offered with an appropriately trained team and with a fair expectation of success. Finally, we'll just mention the critical appraisal note that came with this month's Archimedes. In a lot of evidence-based medicine, we make statements about how you should appraise this or the various features that look like they're important in recognising bias and identifying it, and that might lead us to believe less about the trial that's being undertaken, or potentially think that the biases all go against the arm that showed success, and so believe it even more strongly. Now, being relatively obsessive types, we've also examined in detail a lot of the things that we've looked at and this month the critical appraisal note has focused on the work of one part of the Cochrane collaboration which have examined in detail the idea that if you have a subjective measurement you should undertake a blinded assessment of outcomes because biases about what you think might be best are more likely to affect it. Well they've shown that this is the case the blog post and CAN article go into more detail and the paper itself is an interesting read, should you have a spare 10 to 15 minutes or so. On the subject of blog posts, we're posting more regularly now and would be delighted to hear from you what would you like to read about, or in these podcasts, what would you like to hear about, or in the written version, what would you like to look at. Yeah, we could start doing Archimedes Does Pictures but I'm not sure that's a great idea. Anyway, please feel free to tweet us or be in contact via the comments site on the blog site or email to the editorial office. I look forward to speaking to you all next month. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, 
please visit bmj.com.